last 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Hello, Utah Street! Five, four, three, two, one. Let's try this again, shall we? After some technical difficulties, we are back on the Mass and All Access podcast. Bobby Blanco again with you, coming from my apartment in Washington, D.C. Thanks again so much for tuning in. Hopefully, we will stay fully connected this time um, as we bring in our um, national beat reporter for MassAndSports.com, Mark Zuckerman. And Mark, let's just get right to it because we don't have a lot of time because it seems like news is dropping every five seconds with this team, even after the trade deadline. Um, what did you make of Josiah Gray and uh, Mason Thompson's debuts on Monday? I was impressed with both of them. Uh, you know, obviously different circumstances. Josiah Gray's a starter, a little more highly touted. He's, you know, one of the two top prospects they got now from the Dodgers in that big blockbuster. And, you know, he looked the part. It wasn't his major league debut, so it wasn't necessarily quite the same nerves that he would have had for that a few weeks ago in L.A., but... The, the word that I just kept coming up with throughout the whole thing was poise. He had tons of poise. I thought on the mound, I thought afterwards with us. I, I know that doesn't matter as much to everyone, but the way he conducted himself with us afterwards, I was really impressed with. He's 23 years old, but he just carries himself like a big leaguer. And the stuff was good. He throws 95. Uh, he was effective. He threw strikes, a lot of first pitch strikes. And, you know, I don't think you could ask for anything more from him in his debut. I, this wasn't a Steven Strasburg debut. There wasn't all that kind of hype and excitement, and he's not that guy. Maybe Cade Cavalli will be. But this reminded me kind of of Jordan Zimmerman's debut way back in the day, and, and that would be a great thing if he ends up being Jordan Zimmerman for the next six or seven years. I'm just a good, reliable starting pitcher. Uh, so that one, to me, went down perfectly. And Mason Thompson came in in relief of him. You know, not as highly touted. He was ninth in the Padres system. Big guy, though, six seven. And he got himself into a jam. He loaded the bases uh, with two outs, and then he kind of came through pretty big. He struck out Reese Hoskins on three pitches. It was a 96-mile-an-hour sinker that had tons of movement in on his hands. It was a good pitch. The crowd was into it at that point. So, I mean, it, it's exciting. We don't know. You don't want to read too much into one outing for anybody. But what we saw, it was a really good start for both of them, and you hope that there's more of that to come. Yeah, I have to agree. I think that uh, you you said you know, I don't know how much you make much of the the poise that they have, but uh, yeah, Josiah Gray was very impressive. I mean, it's not easy, right? I mean, he just traveled across the country. Uh, second time he's been traded in his career. He's only twenty three years old. He's immediately a place as the number two Nationals prospect, according to MLB Pipeline, and he's making this debut against a bunch of major league hitters that he's never seen before, including Bryce Harper, uh, at, you know, in front of a, a decent crowd at Nationals Park. And now all of a sudden, you know, as opposed to being, you know, the face of the next wave of great Dodgers, right, you know, a team that has obviously a lot of major league talent and expects to contend every single year, he's now the face of a rebuild here in D.C. with another team that had just won a World Series a couple of years ago. So a lot of pressure for a 23-year-old, and the way he talked uh, to us after the game, the way that Davey Martinez relayed that their conversations went, I think lots to be said about this kid, um, that he is very composed, he understands the situation that he's in, and he's not afraid take the ball and you know just go out and show what he does what he's got he's got four pitches uh you obviously use his fastball a lot still working on some of his off-speed stuff to get to uh, get working but yeah impressive debut i like your comparison not a strasburg debut but a zimmerman debut where it is highly anticipated and signals the next wave of hopefully great 
Nationals pitchers uh, still to come. Uh, Mark, at the deadline, the Nationals and all and all make six trades. They move eight players, seven on expiring contracts. They acquire 12 prospects in return. Uh, a pretty decent haul for these guys, um, for the Nationals. Ten of those 12 are already in the Nationals' top 30, according to MLB Popline, in terms of their prospect rankings. Six in the top 16 and three in the top 10, including number ones and number two, uh, Kaber Ruiz and uh, Josiah Gray. What did you make of all the prospects that came back in these deals and uh, uh, any other debuts that we should be expecting coming up soon in the last couple months of the season? Well, I think what stands out there is, like you said, six of the top 16 now prospects in the organization. So these are not nobodies. They got guys who they think can help. Now, there's probably the two surefire guys, Caber Ruiz and Josiah Gray, that you know they're projected to be good major leaguers for you. Now, the rest of them, you can't say that for certain. But here's the thing. When you brought in 12 new prospects, you're not expecting them all to make it and, and to make it big. But you hope from that 12, maybe four, five, even six of them can end up being big leaguers, and a couple of them are uh, big-time producers for you. And that's fine. That's what you're hoping for. You want to get quality out of quantity. And what this organization has lacked here for a while is the quantity. They've had some top prospects and been able to call some guys up who've done a good job for them, but they just haven't had that depth. So what they did here by stripping it completely down, they, they took everybody who was going to be a free agent next year and uh, restocked the system. And so I, I think it was necessary what they needed to do. The other thing I like about it is, especially in the, in the cases of the top guys, they're already big league ready or very close to it. Like you said, we've already seen now three. Riley Adams uh, just debuted as a pinch hitter last night, a catcher they got for Brad Hand from the Blue Jays. I think he's going to start either tonight or Thursday. So that'll be exciting to see. And, of course, Caber Ruiz, who's sort of the crown jewel of the whole thing, he homered in his Rochester debut last night, and I do think we're going to see him relatively soon as well. So what I like here, sometimes you trade away rental players, the other team only get them for two months, and you end up with a lower-level prospect, somebody who's still at single A, somebody who's only 19 and still has a long way to go. No, in this case, they got guys who are right on the cusp. And I think that makes a difference in terms of the quality of prospect, but it's also easier for all of us now to like understand and appreciate what they're doing when you see instant results, when you're able to see Josiah Gray two days later as opposed to waiting a couple of years and the kid gets called up, you say, oh, yeah, where'd they get him from? Oh, that was one of the guys from the Max Scherzer trade. No, I think it helps to now see them immediately. The hope is that they perform well. You don't want them to start off in a, uh, in a bad way. But so far, so good. And I would expect that Ruiz, when we see him, is going to be just fine as well. Yeah, and what did you make of the last deal that they made right at the buzzard, even a little after uh, the Nationals being able to trade John Lester to the Cardinals, albeit for one prospect, he's not ranked in the currently in the Nationals' top 30, but he's already made his debut in outfielder Lane Thomas. Uh, he was the Na uh, the Cardinals, excuse me, uh, number nine prospect, according to MLB Pipeline. What did you make of that deal? I mean, here's a guy, John Lester, who is not having a very good season, has maybe had one or two decent outings, if that. Uh, obviously a future Hall of Famer and a, and a great uh, career, but pretty much no, we thought, at least no value at the trade deadline, and the Nationals are at least to get a guy out of him. What did you make of that deal at the last minute? So I'll be honest, at about 3 o'clock it was the other day when the Gomes and Harrison trade to Oakland went down. I, in my head, was saying, okay, is there anybody else left? And I'm going through all the names and like, no, nah, I don't think they have any other sets. Oh, wait, John Lester, he's still in the last year of his contract. Well, no, they're not trading Lester. So I guess that means they're done. Well, no, they weren't done because <laughs> they got one more trade uh, across. And 
good on Rizzo for getting a somebody who could be a major league fifth outfielder for them in Lane Thomas. Um, I'm a little confused what the Cardinals were doing. They're nine and a half out. They're not really in the thick of the race. Lester made his debut last night against the Braves and got rocked five runs in the first inning. Oof. Although he did, you know, end up going six for them in the end. Um, I'm not entirely sure what their thought process was there, but uh, good on Mike Rizzo. That's not a move I expected they would make. And um, if you can get somebody for John Lester for two months, absolutely you do that. And it, it did sort of just complete the whole process. They, they truly did move everybody who was uh, potentially able to be moved. Yeah, uh, according to uh, Baseball America, Thomas is a f- the, f- the fastest, or was, I guess, the fastest base runner and the best defensive outfielder in the Cardinals system. So at least you're getting some speed back, uh, you know, maybe a threat on the base pass, a solid defender in the outfield, um, which, you know, we talked a little bit about, obviously, with the um, departure of Michael A. Taylor over this past offseason. The, the Nationals did have some outfield depth concerns. Um, you know, we saw when Kyle Schwarber go down that that was a big concern that they didn't have guys on the outfield to step up. So, but I mean, you know, like you said, if Thomas just happens to be Andrew Stevenson 2.0, whatever it may be, that's better than nothing, or that's better than two more months of John Lester because, uh, you know, you're already committing to this full rebuild anyways. Uh, and so that's it, it's, like I said, better than nothing that they got something, and good on Mike Rizzo. Um, well, Mark, I mean, we, we don't have too much time today, unfortunately. I mean, I, like I said, a lot of news breaking down every second. There's also baseball games to be covered. You got to get to the park. But I did want to get your thoughts on this and have a little bit of a discussion on this topic because you did write about it. Uh, a bit on massinsports.com just the kind of the, the big conversation surrounding the trade deadline for the nationals not wasn't who they were sending off and who they were getting back but it was more so surrounded about uh, once again we see uh, a nationals uh, homegrown talent i know trey turner was acquired via trade but essentially homegrown talent not being signed to a long-term deal and being now used as a trade piece to basically kickstart this rebuild uh, um you know, you had a great article, like I said, on the website about it. Just do the Nationals have an issue signing their long-term, uh, their, their young players to long-term deals? And should Nationals fans be concerned about the future that holds for Juan Soto? So I think that this is kind of the underlying story of all of this now. It's not just about what they did here at the trade deadline, but in the bigger picture. And if you look at their history, they've only had two guys, uh, the truly homegrown guys who signed long-term. And that's Ryan Zimmerman and Steven Strasburg. Uh, the others, Bryce Harper, Ian Desmond, Jordan Zimmerman, uh, Anthony Rendon, now Trey Turner, ended up leaving, and in Trey's case, he was traded. And I think that was telling in that the Nationals just felt like they were not going to re-sign him when his contract was up at the end of next year. Now, was that because they didn't think he wanted to resign, or because they didn't want to spend the money they thought he would cost, or they just didn't feel like long-term, as he gets into his 30s, that he is going to be worth what he's going to get. I mean, we've seen the short the, the market for shortstops explode here. And I think if you're Trey Turner and his agents, you absolutely should be going out there and thinking you deserve to be paid as well as Francisco Lindor. They're, they're comparable players, really, when you look at them side by side. So I think in each one of those cases, all those guys that they didn't re-sign, you can point to it and say, yeah, well, I see why they didn't. Even though it was maybe frustrating in the moment, I mean, a lot of those guys, those Contracts they signed did not pan out for them and their new teams. The Steven Strasburg contract right now is not looking real good. There's a long way to go. We don't know what's going to end up happening there. So if you're the Lerner family, I can understand why you're a little bit, you know, gun shy about signing guys to these kind of deals. Um, now, 
that takes us to Juan Soto, who is, of course, the next big one. And in my mind, and you know, my opinion only matters so much, but if there is one guy out of all these that I think it is worth going all in on and going over the top and spending a lot of money for a lot of years on, I think it's him. He's going to be a free agent at 25, 26, as opposed to 30. He is uh, a, a superstar player, the likes of which none of those others are. I mean, he's a generational talent, someone who is one of the young faces of baseball, not just of the Nationals. And personally, I think his skills aren't going to deteriorate as he gets older, at least not for a long time. His eye at the, at the plate, his uh, ability to put the bat on the ball, to hit for power to all fields, all those things to me, again, as an untrained scout, feel like the kind of thing that can be sustained. And you're not going to be talking about, oh, man, what a terrible contract, because once he reached age 30, he's not the same player anymore. We'll see. It's going to cost a ton. It's a two-way street. Both sides have to agree to it, as Ryan Zimmerman talked about. Um, you know, Scott Boris is not always uh, real excited about trying to sign guys long term, especially before they reach free agency. They've got three years to figure it out. But if it's me and I was going to commit to one player, I think Juan Soto would be the one. Yeah, I agree. And I, I guess I think for this whole thing, the, the issue for me is it's not that that the Nationals had to do this right now. I think we can look back on it, take, especially for fans, can take the emotion out of it and say that this was the right move to sell off these players um, and get 12 prospects in return. And like you said, guys who are going to make an impact somehow uh, up at the major league level for the rest of the season. I think that it's, it's fair to have issue with the process that led us to this point, right? That the Nationals didn't lock up Trey Turner two or three years ago you know, especially after that World Series run, before he had an all-star campaign in a shortened 60-game season, before he was an all-star this year, before uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. and uh, Francisco Lindor set the shortstop market. So I, I think that it's fair to have, you know, kind of that kind of issue with the process the Nationals have displayed so far. You know, obviously, uh, Scott Boris guys are a different animal, but Turner not being one, yeah, you know, his agency having a track record, look at Jacob deGrom, uh, of signing guys earlier before they should. They had a chance to do that a couple of years ago, and they didn't. So I think that we can take issue with the process that led him to this point, but the initial final decision to do this uh, was the right one. Yeah, I think you, you make a good point there. And, and Zim brought up the, the point as well, and he's represented by the same agency, by the way, CAA, as Trey Turner, that at some point your best hope is to lock them up early before they get to be $300 million players. Now, again, it's a two-way street. The players have right. to be willing to do it. But if you can get them at that stage and, you know, look, the Nationals did make him an offer in spring of 2020, but that offer was about $100 million. And so if you're Trey Turner and you're his agent, you're saying that's not a real offer. So I think this is where, when it comes to Soto, they've got to make a real offer yeah. and try to get that done. It can't just be one of those token, well, hey, you know, don't blame us. We made him an offer. No, it needs to be something that he would reasonably look at and say, yeah, I think I want to take that. I'm not going to take the chance of the next three years and, and who knows what happens with my career. I like it here. I'm going to get locked up now. So that is absolutely a part of the equation and something I think they need to be better at. But the other point I'll make, very few organizations are in the same boat as the Nationals. And it's a testament to how many elite young players they've developed <laughs> over the last decade. Most teams only have one or two of these guys that they're in this position with. The Nats that we just outlined have had about six of them over the years. So give them credit for that. Now, the issue is they haven't had one of them in a while. So where's that next wave of them before it comes up again outside of Soto? Uh, but, you know, I think they do deserve a little bit of credit for that. Most teams would not 
have the ability to sign six different guys who are homegrown to those kind of mammoth contracts. They've done a really good job of having elite young players. Um, but just emotionally, you'd like for at least a few of them to stay long term. And you don't want it just to be confined to Ryan Zimmerman and Steven Strasburg. Yeah, absolutely. And hopefully some of the guys that they just got back over the last week um, are, are a part of that wave. Um, I think Tres Barrera is kind of coining that the new wave, the wave emoji that he used on his Twitter account uh, for the Nationals prospects. So looking forward to that. Uh, one more quick thing. I, I just remembered before I let you go, Mark, uh, you know, you, you've mentioned on Twitter and, and you always say you, you duck while you say it is that, you know, aside from a, a, what four blown saves and a couple of close losses, the Nationals theoretically could be only two and a half games back of the Mets. And, you know, they were just a couple of rad hand blown saves last week from being buyers at the deadline. We didn't even talk about that last week because we were too busy covering, obviously, the mega deal with the Dodgers. Uh, and now, you know, you also look at um, uh, other things going around the league. Uh, the Nationals theoretically could have been in. It was just kind of a wor- crazy how things turned out that the Nats had to be sellers when they were very close to being buyers. It is pretty crazy. Yeah. And um, not necessarily that would have been a good thing for them. You know, uh, maybe it wouldn't have been the wise thing to act like that. But, yeah, they really were only a handful of games against the Orioles. Uh, they had what, four blown saves in nine days. If you flip those, and I get it, it's a what if, and you know you can't yeah. just say, well, if this happened, then that would happen. But it, it's more an indictment of the Mets than anything and the rest of the division. Because I don't think, and I don't think you think either, the Nationals, as constructed there at the end, were a, a, a division champion yeah. or a team that was going to go anywhere once they got to October. But I do think that you flip a few of those games, and the Strasburg injury, which I think was a big part of it. But you you flip those games, and I think Mike Rizzo would have been tempted to say, yeah, let's let's at least hold Pat here, maybe add a couple of players, maybe not a big-name guy, but a few guys, and let's give it a shot. Let's see what happens. Now, again, maybe what happened was for the best, for the long term for them, but they really weren't that far away from being in a different position. And now, if I can break some news for you, yeah, because the schedule has come out, 2022 schedule, because it's a random Wednesday in August. So, of course, MLB has just announced the 2022 schedule. The I Nationals never understand be... why they did this, but go ahead. No, I don't either. The Nationals will open the 2022 season at the New York Mets because we haven't <laughs> seen that one before. <laughs> it's home always the opener, Mets. Home opener against the Phillies three days later. So only three there days you know. in New York and then come straight three, back home? Uh, with an off day in between uh, March 31st, April 2nd, April 3rd at the Mets, and then Monday, April 4th, home against the Phillies, and then the Mets come in after that. So a lot of Mets and Phillies early on. Like I said, we've never seen that one before. Yeah. How about a little creativity, MLB? Yeah. Send us out west. Give us something different. Interleague, anything different. Well, we said that at the beginning of this year because they started out west. You know, they were there for the Dodgers' first home series this year. Sure, yeah, but they were supposed to open at home against the Mets, and that's the series they got. Uh... Of course. Uh, who do they play on the 4th of July? That's always a fun one. Oh, all right, wait a minute. Give me, give me just a moment. Hang on, it's a big schedule here. Don't mean to throw you under the bus. No, 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 no. Stick with us, folks. Hang on. This is great TV. 7-4. <laughs> they will be hosting the Marlins on 4th of July. That's always an exciting one. What, di- what day of the week is that? That will be, it's the end of a series. It's a Monday wraparound series. Ah. So Friday, Saturday, Sunday with the Marlins wrapping around to Monday. And then let's just, because we've got it here, they close at home with the Phillies. So who knows what that okay, could be an important series. Who knows? We don't know what next is going to look like. That's, I mean, the, the bizarre area, Orioles schedule, they're, they're, they're facing the Orioles. 
at home in mid-September, two games, and they will be in Baltimore. Hang with me here. I think it's in July. There, uh, late June, 21st and 22nd. And let me do one other because who knows how this is going to work out. But let's see when the Dodgers come to town. Okay. Just in case a certain oh, yeah. uh, a certain ace and shortstop are still with them next year. Shortstop should be. Yeah. Well, they may not be a shortstop at that point. Right. Maybe we'll a see. center fielder or something. That will be May 23rd through 25th, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday is when the Dodgers will be at Nationals Park. So That's... mark your calendars for that one now. That could be a big one. That's pretty early. That's pretty early. Breaking news right now on the Mass and All Access podcast via Mark Zuckerman. Another point I wanted to add just to kind of wrap up the, the conversation we uh, were just talking about before we get out of here. Uh, you know, we're, we're talking about they're a couple blown saves away from being in it. They're all. They're also, you know, a good season from Victor Robles or a good breakout season from Carter Keboom away from not needing to do this. You know, they, they could have felt much more comfortable about their future uh, with those guys if those guys had penned out to be half of, you know, what they were expected to be. Yeah, or Patrick Corbin pitching like he was supposed to, you know. I mean, there, there's, a, there's a lot of what-ifs. But I think that's why we went into this season we said it was really hard to know what kind of team they were going to be. We yeah. felt like if everything comes together, this could be a really good team. But we also knew there was a chance that things didn't come together and it could be pretty bad. There was a high variance for this team that I think there wasn't necessarily there with others. So I, it's been frustrating, but I, I think in some ways it might have been the best thing to happen because the, 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 game, the outcome of the games, the injuries, everything else, it kind of forced the issue yeah. where Mike Rizzo had to say, you know what, it's time to start over, do this again. We don't it, like It was worth it to give it another shot. Let's see if we can do it again with this group. But I think if you got to the end of this year and they still didn't make it back and they're saying, well, maybe one more try at it, it might have been too much, you know, as we've seen the organizational depth was so bad. So maybe it's a little bit of blessing in disguise that all those things happened over the last month and now they're in this position and they can start over and maybe it doesn't lead to success in 2022, but it might give them a better chance of success in 23 and 24. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think it's a tough call. Any any. In any sport, any ownership group, any front office, that's a tough call to make. So I think Mike Rizzo and the learners deserve credit to, to making that tough call because I think, again, like you said, we'll be looking back on it now, next year, and hopefully in 2023 and saying that was the right move because they're set up much better for success uh, for now in the, in the couple of years to come. So it's always difficult, but it's always sad, of course, for the fans to see those guys go. Um, but hopefully we're looking back on this and being this was the, the right time to do it and, and an important turning point for this franchise to kind of get this rebuilt underneath their belt uh, and get moving and uh, try to get back into contention in a couple of years. Hopefully in time for Juan Soto uh, before he hits free agency to decide that he wants to stay here and, and see this through and live out the prime of his career with a new wave of top nationals talent. Mark, I know you got to get out of here. You got to write up a story about the schedule because, I mean, why not? Uh, and Exciting. Then, Exciting stuff, Bobby. Exciting stuff. And got to get to the park to cover uh, tonight's game. So I really appreciate you hopping on. Uh, give Mark Zuckerman a follow at Mark Zuckerman on Twitter and, of course, on the blog at MassInSports.com. He'll have all the breaking news. And I'll be pinch hitting him for him uh, tomorrow since he pinched hit for Amy today. I'll return the favor and cover the game tomorrow. How's that sound, Mark? That sounds great to me. I will take as many days off as I can get at this point. I need them. All right. Thank you so much for the time, and I'll let you go and uh, enjoy the game tonight. All right. Thanks, Bobby. All right, that's going to do it for this week's Mass and All Access podcast. It was a short one, but I appreciate everyone tuning in on Facebook, Twitter, and on YouTube. 
Of course, if you miss any of the podcasts, you can catch it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or SoundCloud, wherever you get podcasts. You can follow the Mass and All Access podcast. Amy should be back next week, so we'll have a full episode discussing more, maybe potentially more uh, debuts of new prospects and stuff like that. Uh, so tune in next week on across all platforms. And, of course, give at Mass and Nationals a follow on social media as well. I'm at Bobby underscore Blanco. You can give me a follow. Like I said, I'll be covering the game from Nationals Park on Thursday. We'll also have coverage on the website throughout the course of the regular season as well. And, of course, the upcoming offseason. Stay tuned with us. Thank you again so much, everybody, for tuning in. Stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll catch you later.